There are things in the universe billions of years older than either of our races. They are vast, timeless. And if they are aware of us at all, it is as little more than ants. And we have as much chance of communicating with them as an ant has with us. We know. We've tried. And we've learned that we can either stay out from underfoot or be stepped on. That's it? That's all you know? Yes. They are a mystery. And I am both terrified and reassured to know that there are still wonders in the universe, that we have not yet explained everything. Whatever they are, Miss Sakai, they walk near Sigma 957. They must walk there alone. Experiment gone wrong creates a super telepath, and the thought police want him dead, if necessary. Mind quake! Let him go! Don't make me do this. Water Caning guest stars on the next Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Badge incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. there in podcast land welcome to gray 17 babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices we are here today to talk about the next episode in our long trial that is rewatching all of babylon 5 and we are here today to talk about mind war with us is going to be if you're just joining us for the first time uh, a bunch of newbies who have just watched up to mind war and nothing else and then some long-term fans who have seen the entire show so the first part of this show will be us discussing mind war with the newbies and getting their feedback and then getting their predictions and their questions and then we will jettison the newbies out the airlock and start talking about the show as a whole with spoilers and all so I am Scott, and with me, as always, is Emily, Jesse, Blake. I'm Justin, Andrew, Kevin, Nicole, Good Mike, and I'm Ryan. And Ryan, that is a new sound. We usually have nasally Americans on this show, so we have <laughs> a different accent on. Ryan yes. is joining us from the uh, Yum Yum podcast, which I'm sure he'll talk about in a moment. But Ryan, before we do that, we have two questions we ask everybody, and that is, who are you? And what do you want? Wow, uh, those are tough questions. Uh, how do I answer these? Uh, I'm I'm Ryan Slowinski. That's my name. But is that who I am? I'm not too sure. I know that I've got yum yum up the wazoo. And what do I want? Um, boy, it's a tough thing. I kind of want to be the. I want to remain the only Australian podcast that covers Babylon Five. I want to keep that in my territory, in my domain. That's kind of my goal in life. And uh, I'm going to keep that, hopefully. Hopefully no other Australians listen to this and go, I want to take him down. It's just going to be me and my wife, Rachel. 
But it's fine. We got like 700 American Babylon 5 podcasts and we being the newest one. So that's fine. The, the, the Babylon first guys beat us by like six weeks and I'm bitter for that. It's okay. I still, I still run their ads. So it's okay. Ryan, tell us about uh, the podcast itself. Aside from that, it's Australian. Well, my wife, Rachel, and I are a rewatch podcast. So we rewatch episodes of television shows. We do Star Trek Discovery and Babylon 5. So we're called Yum Yum because of an amazing line of dialogue, iconic, beautiful line from Star Trek Discovery where somebody said Yum Yum randomly off the cuff. And we just needed to understand why that happened. So we rewatched Discovery, talked about it episode by episode. Then we ran out of Discovery and we thought, why not Babylon 5? We're always bringing up Babylon 5 when we talk about Discovery. So we're rewatching Babylon 5. We're mid, we're about the start of season three, midway through season three. So if people out there are experienced in Babylon 5, come on over to us, check us out. We like to get analytical get nice and deep into the episodes we like to talk about actors that pop up in each one production stuff as well as just the beats of the story of an episode so when you're tired of our shenanigans and you want actually a quality Mm. show the link to their show is in the show notes once you start with us the bar is so low all you can do is go up so we're here today to talk about mind war mind war is a very special episode for one i think it's an episode that actually matters in the grand scheme of things but also it's a very special episode for us star trek nerds because of course walter koenig makes his first appearance on babylon 5 i say first because i will spoil bester will return i did like though that spoiler alert bro man bester will return he did not die he did not get vaporized he said he would be uh, back. He'll yes. be seeing you again. Yes, yes. And you don't let Walter Koenig be a one-off. But Emily, I did like that you sent me a text when you were watching it and all he was was Chekhov and Cal, uh, and Cal Caps. It was great. <laughs> so let's go ahead and start doing our first impressions of Mind War. And since I already called her out once, we'll go to Emily first. Oh, thanks. Yeah, so I was really excited because I was like, yeah, it's Chekhov. And then I was like, ugh, he's a dick. <laughs> And yeah, that was not cool. I was really disappointed in that. Um, other than that, I just noticed like um, a lot of people were kind of missing from this episode. Like we haven't seen Dr. Franklin since the infection. I don't know what he's doing. Maybe you're recovering from that disaster. Um, yeah, but I was so happy to see Chekhov and then just so disappointed in his like him being such a horrible person. You see, with with Walter Koenig, for me, and I don't know if anyone else is like this in the podcast, but at least I am, when I think Walter Koenig, I do not think Chekhov. I think Bester. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, and again, I'm burying the lead from two, three, four seasons from now, he is, he gets more to do with Bester than he ever did with Chekhov. He got more to do with Bester in this singular episode than he did in any Star Trek episode he was in. Very, very true. Yeah. (laughs) Very true. Except looking for the nuclear vessels. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's very funny in Star Trek 4. (laughs) (laughs) True. No idea what we're talking about. (laughs) It's the one with the whales in it. But you haven't seen any Star Trek, so there you go. I haven't even seen a Star Trek. That's one of the things we're gonna do. We're gonna do. We're gonna do reaction shows where we'll just do it on Facebook Live, and we'll just make Jesse watch stuff that we know she's gonna hate, 
<laughs> just so she can watch like, more than one Star War. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a good start with this show, so keep it rolling, kids. Okay, let's go to Jesse next. First impressions for Mind War. I didn't hate it. Oh, oh my God! I what? I know. I know. I didn't hate it. You know, actually, I was in about the middle of it, and I was like, hmm, this isn't so bad. Um, I hated a bunch of the characters, and... Um, hated the Psychops, both of them. And, um, I'm guessing that's the guy you guys are talking about being 17 different characters. That's true. Yeah. Walter Um, Koenig, he was in Star Trek from 1960, whatever on, but yes. So this is the first time I've ever seen his face and he's kind of a dick. So, um, that's how I felt. And, uh, I didn't hate Ivanova this time. She kind of like, listen, you're the problem. So I think she actually at one point said, listen, lady, you're the situation. Um, And so she was a lot less snarly this time um, for better reason. And um, there were some... (laughs) We can talk about it later, but there was some things, some lines that were said something about the, it's not anatomically possible. And it Mm -hmm. took me a second to catch on what was going on. And I was like, oh, this is gold. So um, it was, yeah, I didn't hate it. It was, it was, it was a good time today. Not anatomically correct, Mr. Garibaldi, but you're welcome to try. (laughs) Try anytime. (laughs) Garibaldi just wanted to show him his first favorite thing in the universe. That's all. (laughs) Actually, I have that in my notes. Uh, did Garibaldi just tell Chekhov to go fuck himself? Either yeah. that, or stick his head so far up his ass. One of the two. Yeah. <laughs> or, or like, or like, I was thinking Red Foreman in that, where it's like a stick a boot up your ass or something. Like that's. <laughs> I think we're all kind of thinking the same thing in that. Either way, it had something to do with his butthole, and there was no cell hunter around to find out. So, okay. <laughs> See, John's not even here, but I still do callbacks. By the way, John's not here this week because he drove, and I guess he can't drive and Zoom at the same time. So he'll be back next week. Let's go ahead and move on to Blake. First impressions. So first impression for me, and I'll go back to something you said, Scott, is for me, Walter Koenig is is Bester. You know, that is a role I identify him with even more so than Chekhov. And actually, I'll say I got to meet him at a convention one time, and they had the pictures there that you could have signed. And there was the picture of him as Chekhov. And then there was this like the whole stack of the Bester picture. And no one was taking that one. But that is the one I actually took was the picture of him as Bester uh, when I went through the signing line. Because that, you know, that's just the role I associate him with. Um, this episode for me has some frustrations. Um, largely looking at larger arc. And it, it opens up a few plot holes, which we'll discuss later um, after we throw the newbies out the airlock. But overall, I think this sets up the episode for a lot of what we see going forward with Psychops, with what some of their programs are, um, sets up the persona we're going to see there uh, throughout the rest of the series, which becomes important a lot later on. Yeah, we'll definitely have some discussion beyond the rim on this one for sure. Let's go to Justin next. I mean, honestly, when I first um, realized that Walter Koenig was going to be on this episode, it immediately became my favorite. Uh, so far of the series because unlike you guys i'm come from the other aspect of it to me walter koenig will always be Chekhov, um and it was really weird hearing him without a russian accent even though i know he's canadian and i've always known that 
But the moment he started talking with a regular accent, or I guess I can't say regular accent. I apologize to our Australian friend. Um, <laughs> but hearing him without a Russian accent, at least, was very strange for me. Um, but just a couple things that I picked up uh, from the episode itself is, to me, the entire episode is, and I have this kind of like starred and underlined in my notebook here, is the entire episode is about the escalation of weaponry. Mm-hmm. And when has that ever not gone wrong? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was kind of, to me, the overall theme of the entire episode of, you know, you have somebody who, you know, you have a secret governmental agency. Let's, you know, while we're talking about Star Trek, you know, the Section 31 or any kind of like Black Shadow organization mm-hmm. um, training these these PSYOPs officers to become telekinesis people. And all the things that can possibly go wrong with it. So that whole aspect of it, I thought was pretty fascinating. The subplot um, with Jakar and um, and Catherine, mm-hmm. I thought was kind of interesting as well. Um, you know, Jakar being very, no, don't go to, I'm, I'm telling you, don't go to this planet. You don't want to go to this planet. I promise you. And the whole thing sets up to where, you know, something bad will happen to her if she goes to this planet. And then Jakar's like, well, yeah, I knew this was going to happen. I sent a warship to actually save you. We're not all what we seem. So you kind of see a little, a kind of, a kind heart from Jakar, as weird as that can kind of be. But I think probably I have to give the quote of the episode um, to Ivanova. (laughs) Um, talking about talking about calculated risks and talking about juggling babies over the fire pit that is another calculated risk and as soon as i saw that my entire opinion of her changed i'm sorry jesse i'm no Mm. longer anti-avanova justin Um, we only have about 150 some odd episodes ago you are going to recognize her name is ivanova before i I keep saying it wrong that's it i keep saying it wrong Honestly, it's the Indiana in me now. I can't mm-hmm. say anything correctly. No one it's should always... have any Indiana in them ever. It's crazy. I know. <laughs> yeah. no, the person with the most Scott foreign for... last name, Slowinski, I'll forgive you for mispronouncing yeah. a European name. But he does it I mean, every episode. <laughs> 12, I'll forgive you this one this time. Godforsaken state, and I've I pronounce everything incorrectly now. <laughs> But you know, I do want to, I, I, you make very good points there too. And I want to point out the same episode where maybe Jesse's making a turn. Jakar is maybe making a turn as well too. I think maybe keep that in mind. Maybe Andrew, he's not all bad. Andrew, what do you got? Uh, I'm kind of with Emily on uh, the fact that Chekhov was in this episode. I know his name is Walter Kanick, but I will call him Chekhov throughout this se- uh, session. I like seeing Chekhov in something outside of Star Trek. Haven't really seen him in anything outside of that. Uh, like, I, I liked the world building of uh, the telepaths and how it seems like they have their own little like system and how they have uh, the the psychops or whatever they called them. Yeah, psychops. A well, scale and, you know, to measure. Mm-hmm. And, and Justin mentioned you know Section Thirty One, but I don't think Section Thirty One has its own Star Fury fleet. So we also got that going too. The Black Omegas. Kevin, first impressions. Uh, I really enjoyed um, the end where Sinclone owns Bester. Um, 
you get so much more about the the psychor in this episode it's really it's a really fascinating episode for the uh the lead up of uh how how the series is going to go with uh with relation to psychor so i i very much enjoy this episode and uh yeah seeing walter koenig in a, f- a completely different part is very interesting as well but yeah this is this is a good episode uh minus some of the uh incredible over overacting of one of the uh guest stars oh wow so and it's probably not walter koenig so i'm no. gonna guess you're talking about our friend good old ironheart yeah yikes hey he's becoming as ryan <laughs> pointed out <laughs> We won't talk about what. <laughs> he became all right. Uh, <laughs> he became all over the place. <laughs> Again, that line is drawn. I danced around it. You just go, screw it. I'm over the line. Yeah, he became right in Talia's brain at the end. What a lovely, what a lovely scene. Yep, she's moving pennies now. Uh, I really mm-hmm. do enjoy seeing a different side of Jakar in this too, because he, you know, he makes a big deal about how no one's what they seem, but I think it's really clear that no one is totally good and no one is totally evil, especially the ambassadors. Okay, Nicole, what do you got? I actually really like this episode. Um, I have a lot of notes and I wrote down a lot of things that we can discuss when we go to the next section, but overall, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was really kind of foreshadowing what's to come throughout the future episodes. Um, I liked getting to see the other side of Jakar where he wasn't a total douchebag. Um, I liked seeing kind of like more about Talia Winners and like her interaction. Um, I really, really got to say, I also, I got to say, I'm kind of warming up to Ivanova. Like she really, the fact that she was sassing that side cop broad, who I hated, by the way, um, she was totally sassing her and like standing her ground with her. And then like, she was nice to Talia. She gave her water after she got scanned and like, she was actually kind of redeeming in this one. So, uh, you know, in the very beginning, I said, I wanted to punch Jakar in a stupid face. Now just his face, not stupid. Um, he's kind of warming up to me a little bit too. So, um, but overall, I, I really liked it. I thought, um, there was a lot of meat to this episode, if that makes sense. Yeah. I have a, I have a lot of other things I want to talk about that I thought were kind of fun. So, um, but yeah, overall, I really liked it. And, uh, if this is kind of what's to come, I'm even more excited. I've kind of told you guys for a while now that bear with season one, it is a slow burn, but you can start feeling JMS putting his foot on the gas. And I think in about three episodes, the the gas will be fully pushed. So, and then we'll get TKO. So it's going to slow down again, but we're getting there. We're getting there. I promise. Mike. Yeah, I really like this episode for lots of different reasons. Um, I think you guys have kind of touched on all of them, but, um, you know, Bester is a high point. Um, getting, uh, Walter Koenig in there, he's, he's really a great actor. And I think it kind of speaks to that point when you have, you know, his other most notable role being Chekhov is, I always kind of looked at Chekhov as being like the teddy bear of the enterprise. He's the, the sort of shrimpy lovable character, the radar O'Reilly, <laughs> you know, if you're a bash fan. Uh, whereas in this episode, he plays just such an impressive piece of crap. Like he's just, you know, he's evil from the minute he shows up on screen and, uh, and that carries through the entire episode and it leaves you kind of excited to see him again. Um so he's he's a joy in this one um 
besides that, I think it's a pretty cool sci-fi premise. I really appreciate, um, as uh, I think as Justin mentioned, uh, the, the overarching theme of this episode kind of being the escalation of arms. And this is the, the second episode with that primary theme that we've already watched, uh, Infection being the first one. Uh, you know, foreshadowing in an infection that civilization escalated arms and wiped themselves out. So read into that what you will. And like I said, I think it's a cool sci-fi premise anyway, that you're uh, taking the psychic powers to the next level and you're getting a taste of, you know, where that can go and just how bad that can be. And they use it as a mechanism to um, foreshadow the rest of, you know, possibly the series, right? There've been a lot of rumblings about who's actually the bad guy of this series. And it's like, well, uh, Psychor is actually the one running the, the earth government. They just kind of put it right out there on the face of it. And as if that wasn't bad enough, you have Walter Koenig come right on screen and tell you, I'm a person of great responsibility. And I use that to bend the rules, however I see fit. <laughs> and I mean, it's not even like the quiet part said out loud. Well, it is the quiet part said out loud. He says it directly to Garibaldi and Sinclair's face. Of course, Ivanova has that great line. Uh, it's very iconic. Who watches the Watchmen? And I think that's um, something to remember going forward. Other than that, I mean, I think it's uh, overall a solid episode besides, you know, as some others mentioned, some rough, some rough CGI and some overacting here and there. Um, I love the progression of Chikar's character. I think... You know, up until now, they set him up as the conniving straw man villain. And then you see him in an episode where you're meant to sympathize a little bit with him. And they portray him almost as a bumbling fool in the last episode. Uh, this time you find out that he's, and you get a hint of it in the last episode. But this time you really find out that he is more savvy than you know. And he has more going on upstairs than he's let on. Uh, he knows more about the other people. Um, and speaking of characters that we haven't seen in a while um it's just a, a remark that i've kind of been thinking in the last few episodes and i don't know if i've said it yet on the podcast or not but i actually really appreciate the fact that um in b5 they have this kind of i don't know if you'd call them an ensemble cast because there's a lot of cast members and i actually really appreciate the fact that they don't feel compelled mm -hmm. to put too many of them on the screen in any given episode um i do think there are certain characters who have been absent for maybe too long of a stretch at a time i mean we haven't seen kosh since the opening <laughs> the gathering but and i don't think we've seen franklin very much either but i do like that they don't feel compelled to give everybody b c d e and f plots in every episode to overstuff things so yeah um they kind of stick to their solid three or four people that are relevant and and run with it so that's uh cool. that's it i think overall it was a really good episode it's one probably the most enjoyable episode for me so far. One thing, to, uh, a couple of things to hit on with you. I'm glad several mm -hmm. of you bring up the escalation piece. And I like the fact that the subplot A and B are plot A and B both follow that because not only are we escalating what's happening with the Psycor and what's happening with EarthGov, but we are escalating the universe too with the, the idea that there are races out there that would see us as Jakar points out like ants. And so that's building up a universe there as well too, and escalating that too. And also uh, to your ensemble piece, one thing that JMS mentioned in the Usenets uh, back in the day, and he was talking about one actor, actor, and I won't say which one, but uh, that they were signed on for 13 episodes in the season. I think that is, was the standard contract. So I think everyone signed it, 
close to 13 or more episodes per. So that would be why you're seeing some folks come and go because they're playing for about half the season, each one of them, aside from like, you know, Sinclair and so forth and so on. Yeah, I just want to jump in on thing too to Mike's comment, especially about the Kosh character though, because they've already alluded to a little bit that Kosh is an elusive character anyway. You know, they've commented in episodes so far that he doesn't show up at the council meetings that doesn't involve himself in a lot of things. So I, I also think that's part of the actual character development of we don't of Kosh is more mentioned than seen at this point to build that mystery around Kosh himself as well as the Vorlons as a whole, rather than being super present like we've had with Londo or Delenn or even Jakar. Well, we did have him in Midnight on the firing line, which was episode one. So it's been a while. But remember, he had that line where Sinclair uh, said, was talking about the Narn and the Centauri. And uh, Scotch just said, let them die. Let them both die. So, yeah. So we'll move over to our, our guest lecturer of the evening. Ryan, what are your impressions on Mind War? Well, well, let me get my whiteboard out and just write it all down. Yes. Uh, quick fire impressions is obviously, yes, Walter Koenig is a delight. I grew up with him as Chekhov, but this was the real turning point for me in terms of, oh, he can act. He has multiple nuances as a performer. I've always seen him play Chekhov or play a version of himself in things like Futurama. So I was like, oh, I didn't realize he could act. The other thing that I took away from this, and I still take away from this, is Mind War visually looks very different to a lot of episodes. It's much more of a silvery blue hue over the entire thing. So it stands out visually as striking and different and something else is afoot. Uh, the other thing that I really take away from this, I always did when I first saw it was Earth sucks, huh? Earth doesn't seem the greatest uh, because we literally have not only the psycho organization, but they always, to me, when I first saw Talia Winters, I always got a whiff of Nazi vibes. Oh, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed lady with the black gloves and the tight dress. And then we have Walter Koenig walk in looking like an SS officer. And I just thought, I always think it's so crazy to me that we have our crew of characters, Sinclair, the good guy, and he just, this is the world they live in where he casually chats to a mind cop who looks like a little Nazi. And I just think that is just one of those things where I look at it and go, this is an unsettling thing straight off the, uh, straight off the bat where you've had these kind of seeds in the show that Earth is kind of crappy. And Psychor is definitely one of those big things in the background and then we bring it to the front here where it's like here they are and they're not the nicest they keep secrets and what they're up to is total domination and control to the atomic level people that's crazy that's crazy so overall this isn't a personal favorite of mine in season one i have some issues with it i'm not a huge talia winters fan either as a character and i kind of wish she got more to actually do in this plot. She basically serves as a character to kind of tell other characters things like what happens when telepaths make love. I'm so glad we got that information. But uh, other than that, uh, yeah, Jakar is a big turning point as well for me when viewing it too, because I remember the early days watching this show where I just went, oh, it's nice that we have a villain on the show, the evil lizard man with the red eyes who's played by Tomalock. It's so great we have a villain on this show. But then this episode, he goes out of his way to say like, hey, you're judging me. 
on certain values, but maybe I'm more than that. And he proves to be more. And I like the overall conversation of you wanted a different answer to fit the narrative of what you think of me. Well, I didn't give that to you because maybe I'm more complex than that. Maybe I'm more than just the mustache twirling villain of the show. So that's what I think of mine more in a nutshell. You know, you've made Justin very excited because Justin has been playing the Nazi vibes since the gathering. Mm. Uh, and Thank so, you. Thank yeah. you. Someone else has seen that. Yeah. Doesn't he look like an SS officer? Yes. <laughs> Just a bit. So. Even, the, a bit. even the, even the, even the psych you know, it's the, it's the side logo, but it's very, mm. I it's yes. It, there, there is dripping metaphor here. That's for sure. Justin, do you have anything else you want to add since we're talking about Earth? No, honestly, like I was like squealing with glee in the background when he was talking about this. Because, yeah, this is something I picked up on from like the very first recording that we did and the very first watch from from when we watched The Gathering. Like I really questioned what was the Earth Alliance? What was their motives? The whole presidential election thing that was going on in the background that we really haven't seen the repercussions from that yet. Or maybe we're starting to like it's like that was a lot of the same things that I picked up on. So like when you were talking about that, I was sitting there just like, oh, clapping in the background going, finally, someone has seen the same things that I am with this. Ah, it was wonderful. And then like the fact that Tomalak is one of my other favorite characters in the whole Star Trek universe that just, you know, it's I've, I, I always love Jakar like he's one of my favorite characters in the show. And I love to see that he has more dimensions to him that he has shown so far. So yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Y'all. Awesome. Mike, what do you got? I see your hand up. Ah, uh, yes. Um, yeah, just, you know, two quick things. And that is, I, I do think even I, I picked up on the Nazi vibes as well. And I think even from the, the very introduction where um, Bester comes out and he refuses to vocally speak to other people, you know, my instant read of that was that, uh, you know, he believes non-psychic powered people are are lesser than him. It's it's it could just be that he's this dude with a super important job and a lot of responsibility that he, that he immediately goes to Sinclair and flaunts. But to me, it was more than that. I instantly read it as like, no, nah, he thinks people mm. that aren't psychic are are beneath him. In case in point, I mean. He starts off not speaking to random security guy. He goes straight to Sinclair, the most important man on Babylon 5, and pulls the same shit. <laughs> like, he did not care. And I thought that was very telling and, and a very savvy way to write that character to let you know immediately where that dude stands. Um, and then for I just wanted to mention one other thing that kind of struck me as I watched it. And as much as I'm also not really a huge fan of the Talia Winters character at this point, I know she's a very good actress uh, whose name I did not write down. But um, but there was one thing, which is, you know, when they're all together in Sinclair's office and Bester is telling them, like, they mm. interview her and they say, like, all right, well, we're going to have to scan you. I actually was really taken by her acting in that scene because she instantly turned on the like oh oh no <laughs> like please don't do that that's scary and i dread it and it's gonna suck and whatever um i mean i like like that really sold Agreed. the moment to me it was a very good 
She's and that back. connection between her and Ivanova in that moment too, where Ivanova's the only person to like physically reach out to her when after that's all done. I think to your point as well, what makes it interesting with Besta and the Psychops is not only do they see humans as in like the normal humans as inferior, but I like that in that mind scan scene, it's like, well, she's a fellow telepath. She has to comply. So even within their own structure, there's classism or like a elitism where he's a they're P12s, she's yep. a P5 or whatever. Like even within their own weird little organization, they still have layers to it rather than it just being the whole organization <laughs> looks at the other people as lesser. They look at each other as lesser as well, which is just crazy. I love that reoccurring kind of sci-fi trope about like what happens to society when everybody is assigned a rating, you know, like they did it on community with yeah, meow meow beans and they did it on an episode of the orville and i'm t- sure hundreds of other places um well i mean it's the whole historical human thing of a caste system mm-hmm. you know and you see caste systems still get portrayed through science fiction um even through not only like through certain like now we have it in babylon 5 but if you look through like literary sites you know science fiction like red rising and you have like a lot of that different caste system still get dragged with humanity through the ages. Kevin, what do you got? Well, I thought the the line from Garibaldi, which was almost a throwaway line, uh, was really interesting where, where he says, we got to get them out of here because I don't like the way he looks at me like like he's about to squash me like a bug. I really enjoy that line. Um, but it, Well, and that goes, oh, I'm sorry. That I mean, when Jakar's talking about his aunt, he's not just talking about the aliens out in this that sector. We, yeah. that, that it all ties back together. Well, I was going to say the the two plots, although they don't tie together na- per se narratively, other than Sakai says, "Good morning, Sinclair. I'm going to go off and have my plot now. Bye." They tie up thematically with the overarching thing of basically stay in your lane, don't play god. Things are bigger than you, and that's okay to be. While Psycho doesn't see it that way, they want to be more than ants. And Jakar, on the other hand, says to Sakai, "Well, that's okay." It's good that there's still mysteries and wonders and things bigger than us in the universe. While humanity, on the other hand, doesn't see it that way, which is telling. Yeah, that that state-sanctioned forced mind rape scene is pretty pretty disturbing. It really it really gives you some insight into uh, the the inner workings of Psychor and how it is uh, less than uh, a legitimate organization. Ryan, you mentioned how Ivanova was the one who reached out at that point. I think, Jesse, you did as well, too. Mm-hmm. Remember, Ivanova is the one who watched the Psychor come to their house every so often and give yeah. their mo- her mom drugs. So she has watched this happen more, much more than anyone else. Although we did, we do know that Sinclair seems to have had experience with Psychops as well, too, because he definitely seemed like he was trying to put up some blocks when uh Bester was talking to him he didn't do very well but he was trying Blake I see your hand is up yeah just a couple of thoughts too as we kind of have delved into talking about Jakar and I think we've touched on a little bit it, it felt in a lot of these early episodes like that was one of the characters they weren't sure the direction fully that it was going to go and I think here we kind of see that turning point with Jakar from being more that antagonist just there to fight with Londo to the Jakar that we're going to see later in the series as far as, you know, being a more knowledgeable and thoughtful individual to the greater scheme of what's going on in the galaxy than just, you know, the feud that he has with Londo and the Centauri. Um, 
But the other piece is, I, I kind of agree, I was never a big fan of the Talia character because it just feels like there was never a set direction with Talia. And Talia is just kind of there. And I, I know what, what happens ultimately in the series away from the newbies. And this episode for me creates some problems with that that we'll jump into later. But wait again, until I jettison them. Wait. I'm going to wait. <laughs> but, you know, I just, this episode for me is another point where Talia just feels a little bit wasted as a character, honestly, and not much development, except for the piece with Ivanova, because we're going to see some more there also. And I think this also starts the seeds of what we're going to see later on between Talia and Ivanova. Nicole. So it was kind of touched upon about the Ivanova's mom. Um, That's kind of something I kind of picked up on about how this really demonstrated how problematic the Psychor is and how like, it's not necessarily with the right mind behind it um, because realistically from what Ivanova said and what we've learned so far is you can either uh, comply and be in the psych core and go through their training and all that, or you can take meds to suppress it or you die basically. Like you, there's no option, you know? Um, so that I remember from that episode being kind of problematic and then little Mr. Nazi and his, and his bitch come in and they, just you know refuse to speak to people and and like you had said ryan like just kind of like they're too good for the humans or anybody else that they refuse to speak at first and i noticed that so like in my brain i'm kind of like tying together all these problematic things about the psychor and then what they did to talia and like what they you know like they experimented on people and trying to make them stronger and trying to change their abilities like it just sounds straight up whack as hell and like not good, you know? And I forgot who it was that said it, but like, you know, this, I think it was Jason Ironheart. He said that the Psychor is not what you think it used to be run by the government, but now it's run by the Psychor and they're just worried about people's powers uh, becoming more strong and, and how they can like weaponize that and sell that and things like that. So um, I really feel like this is kind of a turning point as well with that, the whole Psychor storyline. And when he said at the bat, at the end, like he'll you'll see me again and I'll be back or whatever, I have a feeling, and maybe I'll I'll save this for the foreshadowing section, but like I just think that this isn't the end of this. And I think it's just gonna escalate further. Emily, what do you got? Yeah, one of the things that okay, other than the obvious what people have said about the sidecar, is that they basically created Ironheart to have like he was what they were trying to create, and then they were mad like upset that they created it and it was harmful to him like because it I mean obviously it was he was definitely struggling and was having a hard time controlling it so they tried to create him basically as a super weapon and then they have the nerve to think that they can take him out he now has these advanced powers that you were looking for and you two think you're actually strong enough to like stop him yeah, you have this weird stop code or whatever thing, but he now has all like these additional powers and strengths that that's probably not going to work, which is what we saw happen, obviously. <laughs> I just, the whole arrogance of it all was not really astounding, but just kind of like gross, <laughs> for lack of a better word. It was just, yeah, definitely not a fan. And I feel like they're going to be the new villain of the show. Justin. So my, my comment's kind of twofold. I really like what Nicole said and others have said 
about the Psycor in general, about how they are pretty much the Gestapo of the Earth Alliance, which makes me actually really like Ivanova-ish. Okay, not, still not there yet. You're getting there. Um, you're learning. You're learning. It's good. I'm proud of you. I don't, honestly, I, which makes me like Ivanova. Um, now you did it. That one right there was perfect. <laughs> Ivanova, which makes me like Ivanova a lot better, is um, her natural hostility towards them and you saw that display like from the moment they walked on the station you could see the hatred in her face towards them and it softened me to her a little bit i'm sorry jesse but you're losing you're losing people here um <laughs> in the in the anti-ivanova crowd um because i'm slowly starting they warned us early on that we would slowly start to soften to her. And sadly it's happening with the history that her family has with this organization. My question is then why would she continue to serve the earth Alliance knowing what these people are? And I guess hopefully that's something that'll be, you know, answered over time. I can't, I, I hate to keep coming back to the, to the Nazi thing, but to me, it's mm. kind of the closest relation that I have with what's going on with this organization. If you're a member of the Wehrmacht, like, like Ivanova is, and you notice that the Gestapo, which is the, which is the side course doing horrible, awful things. Why could you justify still continuing to serve? And that in our own earth history has proven to be a very valid thing that has happened. But it's still a question that keeps getting brought up from time to time. So I really honestly like if any character development happens throughout the rest of the show, I keep wanting to go back to see where she develops as a character just from not, you know, just from what other people have said, where like a lot of the longtime B5 people on this show have said, she's my she's one of my favorite characters. She's my favorite character. I want. I still want to know why. I'm craving to find out why. Um, so I look. I, I look forward to kind of seeing that whole story develop. And then um, I think the the very interesting thing with me with the Psychor in general is they physically described what a force choke feels like. Yeah. And I thought that was actually kind of cool. Scary as hell, too, isn't it? Before we move on to Jesse and Nicole, just you guys are hitting the Nazi piece a lot. And the one thing I do want to give a little background on is, and I shill for this autobiography every episode because it is really good. Newbies, you can't read it. And that is Becoming Superman, JMS's autobiography. And as I've mentioned a little bit already, his father was very involved in the Nazis, with the Nazis during World War II. He was young. Mm -hmm. They were in Poland and he hung out with members of the German military to a point where the members of the German military made him a little Nazi uniform that he could wear. And there's yeah. more to that story, but no kidding. And, and here's the, here's the, here's the, there's more to the whole story of his father. Read the book, Justin, you can't, 
not yet but i know like this is this is honestly i hope this is my thank you for doing the podcast after buying you a book or something like that send me send me a copy of the autobiography because i'm honestly dying to read this we can buy a copy too i would say i I will get you all copies when we're all said and done that being said you should listen to the audiobook because it's written by lon it's read by londo you know as some as someone myself who comes from a polish background like Uh, i also just naturally have like the sense of like oh those in black uniforms and Chekhov's hair is parted to the side I know what's going on here it's not yes, subtle to yes. me especially but it is that thing you go into your sci-fi shows especially like this and you kind of expect on the at least for me Star Trek or a lot of other shows kind of color it's like oh this is a utopian world where humanity is kind of good and then it's like necessarily that great but i also want to touch upon there was that point mentioned about about vonover it's like why do you still serve in this for earth force when things are corrupt what i think in this episode it shows you at least is she doesn't keep quiet about what's wrong she says out loud like i know what this is and i don't like it while other characters may say that or may say it in a more kind of like off the cuff way to each other but she looks these psychops in the eyes and says i hate you and what you represent fair enough i like that yeah jesse so i sat here last week on the same podcast and my name was slandered by scott when he said that i am Ivana. and you are you saw a lot of 100 me her and me what her me and her whatever so today is the first episode that i actually saw that um I am watching the episode and I'm like, Ooh, that was very Jesse. Like, like I, you know, it was just like, ma'am, you're the problem. And you know, sometimes when people are, you know, pussyfooting around it, that's, I do that on a daily basis. Like, hi, let me show you what it's really like. Right. And so watching her today, um, I'm not going to say I like her because that's what you all want, but Um, I did see a lot of the characteristics that we've been talking about for the last couple months. So it was kind of refreshing to see. This is the first step, Jesse, to acceptance. This is the first step. You will get there. But you are, you are definitely Ivanova. You are definitely Ivanova. No, I mean, every, anyone who knows you and knows this show, you are Ivanova. Uh, I'm sorry, you are. Uh, maybe Ivanova is you, just to be a little less condescending. But yes, okay. you you are. Nicole, what do you got? Well, I just kind of wanted to lighten up the conversation a little and point out that one of my favorite parts with the whole sidecore and Talia and everything was when Garibaldi was in the elevator with her and she elbowed him. <laughs> And he goes, I think I'm in love. So he definitely said something inappropriate in his mind, and she totally caught it. So I just thought that was really funny and very Garibaldi. Shooting yeah. a shot in his mind, not even out loud. So I thought it was kind of funny. And he took it away as a positive experience as well when he got elbowed. He's like, I'm in love, I think. Oh, so delightful. Yeah, this this episode is like has a lot of big plot things in it, like a lot of bit like, oh, the world is happening. But I still like that there's time for cute little character sides. Like Catherine Sakai got to be in this episode, which is nice because she's in the previous episode and there's that air of like, will she come back? And then she's immediately here. And I like that her and 
Sinclair are just sharing a nice little morning together, a little kiss, a little bit of coffee, and Sinclair says, are you sure you want to work with a Mamega Corp? Which is just a hilarious line on its own. Like, are you sure you want to do capitalism? And she's like, I can do it. I like that there's moments like she does her little Jakar impression to herself. She's like, this is a heavy episode where we have like all of these big lurching themes that are very oppressive or even things under the surface like they mentioned that uh jason ironheart's relationship with tali was when she was his student which is just one of those things where you start adding up the numbers and you go that's worrisome but we still have moments where it's like here's garibaldi having a laugh to himself about how he has the hots for this woman and we can still have all of this stuff where it keeps it not too oppressive yeah, there was a lot of comic relief in this episode, I thought. And it was really good and, and like, needed. Within a year, those two actors will be married. They get married in 1995. Andrea Thompson and uh, um, uh, Jerry, Jerry Doyle. Doyle. Yep. Promptly divorced within two years. Yeah, you know, I wasn't going to say that. I was going to be positive and say they had a romance bud. And... He had an amazing quote about that. I can't remember where he said, like, the best thing about my wedding was the drinks afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Justin. I mean, I guess that, you know, now that you mentioned the fact of that whole um, Talia and I, you know, Lionheart, it's, it was, I mean, it was obviously a big part of the episode, but really I didn't hit with a lot of chemistry between those two characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They made a mention of the fact that there was a past romantic history with them. But even when you had like the really bad lightning graphics and the psychic earthquakes and stuff like that, and she was the only one that can get in to talk to him, I still never really picked up that chemistry. I blame William Allen Young, who is the actor who played Ironheart on that more than anything. I mean, he wasn't given much to play with. He, you know, Mm -hmm. your job is to be mentally constipated through the entire episode. (laughs) But I think he could have done more to show that not only was he a lover of Talia, but he was a mentor. And I didn't see either one of those in, in his performance. It, it's difficult because the script doesn't allow it because he's too busy being more than human. He's beyond being Jason Ironheart anymore. So I also, in a way, I kind of like the fact that they didn't spend time on him and her giving each other googly eyes going, I love you, Jason. Don't become a big guy in the sky. And he's like, no, nah, I'm too busy. Psycho's evil and they're trying to assassinate people. Help me. I don't know. It's just one of those things where it's just like, uh, Talia in the episode two is, it relies on her giving the speech about what it's like when telepaths make love, which is very funny to me, but I think it is supposed to be like the crux of why this relationship is important. It's just, he's the only person or one of the few only people she's been with where she can take down the barriers of being a psy, you know, psychic person. And I think it's supposed to do a lot of the heavy lifting of their chemistry rather than the two actors together would. Mike? The the very end of the episode where, uh, where he uh, gifts her telekinetic abilities, uh, Jason, 80s action adventure hero name. Uh, I have to ask myself, like, wasn't that kind of a dick move? Because they're they're clearly going to come after her if they ever find out that she has telekinetic abilities because they just chased this other guy across the whole universe because they wanted to have that. They they were trying to make one. <laughs> so it just reminded me, like, I'd seen this, like, tweet from Kanye West years ago mm. about, like, falling asleep on a flight and waking up with a water bottle next to you. And you're like, great, now I have to be responsible for this, too. <laughs> 
Like that to me was exactly what her face looked like at the end when she moves the penny. She's like, shit. <laughs> well, and not only is she responsible for that now too, and thank you for the Kanye reference. That's a first for us. Yes. But um, he flat out said earlier in the episode, most of them lose their mind anyway. So not yeah. only is she responsible for being whatever she just became, but she's probably going to go crazy based I mean, on just statistics. I'm thinking yeah. she won't because yeah, he did She's it better. Character. But <laughs> <laughs> her like plot he armor it. will protect her. It, yeah, but it, it's a way. It's a way in the show to give Talia her mystery and secret. That's what it is. We have Sinclair with his missing twenty four hours. We have Ivanova with her backstory. We have Garo. You know, we, everyone has like some thing going on. And Talia, other than being tele telepathic she's had nothing happening thus far so this is the show going here's a thing for her and i was curious to hear from our newbies what they thought about that like they're giving her this big ability at the end of the episode that is clearly saying the dynamic of the show with this character will not be the same going forth that's at least how i've always interpreted it. it's like you give a character this god power you're gonna have to do something with it in the future i'm curious to hear what the newbies thought she's a target now that's what I think of it. That's exactly what my read of it was. Yeah. Have fun. I'm out. I'll see you in a million like, years. Thank, thank you for painting this giant target on my back, Space God. Yeah. Well, and the fact that he specifically says to Sinclair, I'll see you in a million years. Yeah. Like, to me, that kind of stuck out to me, too. Yeah. Well, we will talk about questions and predictions soon. And I will, Justin, I promise you, we will talk about the million years just as soon as you leave the chat. Of course you will. You're I can't wait to hear about it in a year and a half from now. You're welcome. Jesse, what do you got? So I'm excited to see where they take her. Chemistry or not, I saw the chemi- I feel like I saw the chemistry when she was talking to him initially and she had tears streaming down her face. Yeah, you're wrong, Scott. I told you everybody's got their opinion. Yours is not usually right. I just I, I'm just shocked and appalled that I was called like naive and ignorant when I said Londo was being cute with his eyes open, but you see a little tear running down her cheek, and now there's chemistry. Londo uh-huh. was being creepy. First of uh-huh. all, let's revisit that one. I just listened to that one yesterday, and again, everybody's got their opinion. Scott. All tea, all shade going on here in the Gray 17 podcast. All tea, all shade. No, but she, she's it. a she's a phenomenal actress. She's Talia is she's she's good and she's bland. And I hate it because they don't they haven't given her a lot. And up until this episode, we don't see her. She's just this weirdo that walks around with gloves on. Like she's she's not um, they haven't developed her. And as you see her today, you see her, you know, you see her show emotion, even when Ironheart wasn't, because like we've talked about, you can't, you can't really have a lot going on up here and be emotionally connected with somebody did have some issues with him being her mentor and them sleeping together. It is another layer of weirdness to the psycho dynamic because it says, right. she even says that we haven't seen each other in like 10 years. It's like, well, how old is Talia? Right. For a start. And it's like, when were the relationships? It was like that type of thing. So, yeah, I agree. It's creepy. And so watching the whole situation unfold, I'm I'm excited to see where they go with her. Now, like you said, you know, one in 10,000 telepaths are telekinetic and 5,000 of those 10,000 are they've lost their minds. So granted, like you said, she's or somebody said she's she's a main character. That's probably not going to happen. But that did beg the question of what exactly is her, you know, her role moving forward. 
We're going to go to Emily and then we'll do questions, predictions. Okay. Yeah. It was about um, telegating the telekinetic powers. Cause and I agree that it does put a target on her if they find out, but I feel like he gave her more than that because he had so much more ability. So I kind of saw it as him giving her something to help protect her from them because of how corrupt the system is. So if, like she's not going to be to his level because obviously she would exist in some sort of different plane or form or whatever. Um, but she might now be able to fight what they're doing a little bit better because she has a new ability, a new skill, a new knowledge base. So I felt like it was kind of, yeah, pains a target, but might also be a way to help her and help, um, if she tries to take down the system at some point, because I would actually like to see that, because Psychor is obviously corrupt and terrible and they need to go away. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It gives her defense as well. Like, we, we kind of look at it as like, since Psychor is first in, like, really given a spotlight in this episode, they seem like this unstoppable force. But we even see here that a human characters like Sinclair can put Bester in his place. So imagine another telepath who's slightly aware of the evil has mind powers that are stronger than a psychop. I think, yes, it paints a target, but it also gives her a shield. That is a good point. I, I didn't think about that, but I agree. We're going to go ahead and move into questions, predictions before we kick the newbies off. So I'm going to go to the newbies and ask, again, if you have any questions that stem from this episode and predictions for what's going to happen next, and we will answer all of that for you as soon as we kick you off. So let's go to Justin first. Okay, I guess the main thing that I have um, that's kind of been undiscussed or unanswered during this episode is the whole, what I, I guess, being a and d fan, what I consider to be the whole eye of the beholder ship that was above, that attacked Catherine at this planet, um, the planet being what, Sigma 957. To me, the giant eyeball in space thing. Like, do we ever really know what that is? Does that ever really come into any kind of storyline in the future? Uh, but the kind of the moment I like saw that happen, I was like, oh, that's a giant eye of the beholder in space. Like, what does that happen? And, you know, and then just, you know, kind of the, I'll leave with kind of probably another one of my favorite quotes from the episode is and something that kind of resonated with me was i don't remember um it might have been jakar who said it i am both terrified and reassured that there are still wonders in the universe that are still unexplained and that that really hit me really hard as a phenomenal quote because i still you know the days that i'm standing outside looking at the stars like that that was a really awesome quote and that's something that I really will take with me beyond this episode. You so, know, looking at looking at this from 2022, I just would I was thinking of James Webb, the telescope, when he said that mm -hmm. line. I was like, weird, just right now realizing just how much we're not even ants. We're way beyond yeah. ants. Oh so, my yeah. God, I like the yeah. whole thand about D and D and all of that mentioned because I, I don't know if it's been mentioned, but like the script supervisor and a fellow writer, Larry Dottilio, he wrote for a lot of tabletop games and stuff. So if you ever look him up, you'll be like, Oh, he wrote this, he wrote I this, he wrote this, he wrote this. He wrote part because he wrote a lot of not only did he write a lot of D and D, 
but he mm-hmm. also wrote a lot of stuff for Pathfinder as well. Yeah, I didn't know so, he was ever involved. Yeah, this is the first time I've ever I ever heard he was involved in. Uh, he he in wrote B5. Born to the Purple. He that was his yeah. episode he wrote. But overall, he's a that's script supervisor. That's the one supervisor. I missed. That's the one I was out on. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you'll see his name in every episode as like a fellow. He's basically the guy who punches up scripts if need be. Super cool. As a as a big role playing fan, I didn't know he was ever involved. That's awesome. Yeah, Dottilio and JMS go all the way back to He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. That's where they met. Okay, let's go to Emily. Questions and predictions. I'm assuming, well, you already told us Buster's coming back, so... Well, he I said he's it. coming back, and it's Walter Koenig. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't assume that, like, Psychor was going to be coming back, likely as a villain, given um, what they said about their influence on the Earth Alliance and the powers they're trying to create in people to basically gather more power so they'll be like the new evil corporation or whatever um but other than that i don't i don't really have much but i do want to know how many of these actors came from theater i feel like it's similar to star trek where it has Mm -hmm. issues with overacting because they came from the theater and it's a different style so yeah would that be a spoiler or no can you tell me (laughs) I couldn't tell you their resumes, but I think you're completely dead on. I I see it too. Yeah, he gets. They get a lot of actors from like theater, but also previous stuff that these people worked on: Hill Street Blues, Murder She Wrote, Columbo, so on and so forth. So yeah, you have a mixture of those like t- iconic, like just work in TV all the time, and some people who are like TV and theater and just all theater. So yeah, and remember, this is JMS's first. Um, uh, time he's ever been a showrunner. He, as you just mentioned, he's been in a lot of shows um, as a writer and producer, but never as an executive producer. And he says multiple times uh, when he's in casting calls, he has a vision of who the person is in their head, and he doesn't care who they are, or where they're coming from. And when that person walks in the room, they're casted. So he, uh, for better or worse, that's what you get. Jesse, you're up. I have no questions. I have no predictions. I just hope that the show continues to go up and stay down. Well, one week ago, you were hating life choices. So if we get you here next week for War Prayer, I think we're moving forward. I think we're okay. My prediction is that I'll continue to um, not enjoy Ivanova. We shall see. Nicole, you're up. Um, Before I go into questions and predictions, I just want to point out my other favorite part was when that side pop broad got vaporized that was awesome that was one of my favorite parts because she sucked um she will not be returning spoiler yes yes <laughs> um so my questions uh i guess would be when jakar said we're not all what we seem and he he said delin and londo like he started naming people i just want to know what do you mean i mean he showed that he had a nice side but i want to know more details about that i want to know more about what's going to happen with sidecore and I guess prediction, which we kind of already touched on, is I do think that maybe Psychor is going to now become more of like the villain side um, than, uh, you know, Jakar is. So I think we're going to see some additional problems popping up with them. Cool. Andrew, what do you got? As far as predictions, uh, of course, with how things ended with Talia, uh, I'm, I'm going to predict that uh, Psychor is coming back and... For my question, this could be completely arbitrary, but uh, just more curiosity: is there a like, what's the highest level of on the on the size scale? Yeah, because we heard of a P five, which we knew was both Lita before Talia and Talia, 
we now know there's P10s and then the Psychops are P12s. Yeah. Mm. So I guess, is there anything higher than a P12? Well, there's Ironheart, but yeah. <laughs> good question. Well, like, like, an, like an established number. <laughs> yeah, good question. We will not answer it for you, but we can try to answer it. Okay, so with that, we'll go ahead and kick our newbies out so we can answer all of their questions. So if you are new to Babylon 5, this is where you should leave as well. And for those who either don't care about being spoiled or know the entire Babylon 5 five-year run, we will go to our credits and then come back and answer these questions and predictions. Until next week when we talk about War Prayer, I have been Scott, and with me has been... Emily. Jesse. Blake. I'm Justin. Kevin. Nicole. Mike. Andrew. And Ryan. And Ryan, uh, you're going to stick with us here for Beyond the Rim, but thank you so much for joining us. It was been, it's been a pleasure having you here. And again, for those who uh, have realized that Ryan is much smarter than any of us, you should go check out his podcast because I'm sure it's better than ours. And that is in the show notes. You can check it out there. Right. Ryan, thank you so much for um, Honestly, joining yeah. us. It was, it was awesome meeting you. Yeah. yeah. Pleasure chatting to all of you people. It's killer too, Ryan. Love it. <laughs> thank you. Honestly, I don't care I about the way. accent, but you're a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. Good well. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray 17 podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The Rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. We have Jettison the Newbies. And again, one last warning. If you are new to Babylon 5, you should not be listening to this because we are going to talk a lot about the future of the show, especially with this episode, because there's a lot to talk about. So we're going to roll through the questions and predictions our newbies had. And I think I want to start right where they started, and that is Sigma 957. And the idea that there are races out there that are much more powerful and don't care about the lesser races. Who wants to talk about Sigma 957 first? I can jump in with that one. Blake, please do. So in, in what we're going to find in, I think, season three, four-ish, is these are going to be the first ones. You know, they're going to use the great machine on Epsilon to go out and actually find these first ones and seek them out. And I mean, I think one of the best of Anova episodes is She's on the bridge of the White Star. The, you know, flaming head appears. Pinky head dog. This dialogue between this flaming oh. head first one and Ivanova, who is not going to take no for an answer. And, you know, I just love that whole episode and scene. But, you know, we're going to see this come back. Almost the same visual, yeah. I think, as well for this one. Um, that will be one of the yeah. first ones. Um, then we get into, you know, Lorian, who's also one of the first ones. And just how that goes um, through the remainder of the series. 
Yeah, I, I really, and I mentioned the tapping of the gas here. This opens up so much of what we're going to deal with throughout the show. Um, mm. and I, I think this is, you know, we get a little bit of pieces here and there with Midnight and with uh, Parliament and everything else. But this one Old is just Hunter, like yeah. all, all universe building all the time. Well, she Yeah, got? I think it's interesting how they frame the first ones here, though, with Jakar being in such awe of these beings, like they're bigger than us. But when we do think about when Ivanova meets them and what we know of Vorlons and Shadows, that they're basically children, too. They're, they're no better than us. And in fact, we have outgrown them and they don't need to be here anymore. While in this, it's still these big things that are beyond our comprehension and they must be grander than us people with our petty problems. And then we learn otherwise. I do like that Jakar is the one who talks about these people first, these these civilizations, because he knows more than he lets on, mainly because of the Book of Jaquan. And he has read up on this stuff. So he knows more about what has happened in the past. Uh, so that's uh, I, love the, I love the fact that he's our gateway to that and will be much more down the road. Kevin or Mike, you got anything else for the first ones, 957? I wonder how our Ironheart would... Uh, match up against the first ones after his little uh becoming um situation who who would be more powerful at that point i would guess probably the first one still would be but I, that would be an interesting uh debate well um, we don't know we don't know the power set of like the vorlons or anybody else i mean I, I, my jason ironheart basically says i can make you evaporate but what's to say that kosh can't do the same thing to you we don't we also know. know, yeah, Ironheart at the end mentioned, I'll see you in a million years. And we know from the final episode of season four. Deconstruction of Falling Stars. One of my favorite episodes. Stars in a million years, humanity has evolved to a energy type, Vorlon type being on that yeah. trajectory. Yeah, no, We've I've, ascended. We've become in our own way in a million years like Jason is. Absolutely. And we go to the Vorlon homeworld. That's where we, that's New Earth, according to the JMS. But no, I love Deconstruction of Falling Stars, and I I think I've mentioned this already before, because it just feels like three Twilight Zone episodes tied together into one Babylon 5 episode, so I do enjoy it. But yeah, though, no, the million-year thing is is very much an important aspect. that, And I think one of the newbies actually hit on, too, what, they asked what happens in a million years. Well, the Earth explodes because of a supernova, and we don't know why. To this day, in 2022, JMS has never said what caused the supernova, but that's what's going to kill Earth. So, Andrew, as you said last week with the prediction, yes, the Earth does get destroyed, uh, but we don't know what, why. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah. And it ties back into what Sinclair talks about, why we yeah. must yeah. go to the stars, because one day it could be all wiped away. Yeah, No Marilyn Monroe for us if we don't become mm -hmm. Borolans. Okay, so let's keep on moving down the list here. Okay, Jakar, we hit on that. Uh, do, 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 do. Okay, so Emily talked about Bester and Psychor a lot. So uh, we, I did spoil for them that Bester's coming back. But you know what? That's kind of a given. I will say the one thing I didn't get into on the main uh, discussion is one of the reasons why Walter Kinnick is even here is he is actually a, a long-term friend of JMS before the show. And actually... A little Star Trek piece. Walter Koenig is the person who gave uh, JMS the warning about Deep Space Nine when they were both in pre-production. Uh, Walter Koenig gave JMS a call and said, you're in trouble. And JMS is like, why? Well, 
they're doing a Star Trek spinoff and it's going to be set at a space station that is numbered and blah, blah, blah. And he listed off everything. So I thought Walter you were going to mention about how Besta, about how Besta was a second role, like a fallback yes. position for Go right Conan ahead, Ryan. King yeah. because, you know, he had a severe heart attack. And so he couldn't do a role that will come later this season that would have been a one and done role. So Bester is, in fact, the best thing to happen in terms of like he got a role that will be recurring, will be a major force that our heroes will have to deal with. And everybody that I know that is watching B5 for the first time, they just love how Bester is a character that all the other characters have to worry about when he comes aboard, which is something that we don't get from Walter Koenig a lot with his roles. A lot of the time, he's the guy on the ship that says, this thing's happening, sir. While in this show, he's the guy that is the thing that's happening. Yeah, when you're watching uh, uh, Sky Full of Stars, which will hit in three episodes, I believe, night number two was going to be Walter Koenig. So just remember that that's very true that we almost didn't get the best that we got because he was going to be night number two. Let's see here. And Psychor, same idea. We talked about that quite a bit. Um, and, and yeah, the Psychor is becoming the end all be all villain behind the scenes. When it comes to the earth piece, they are playing their hand when it comes to both Clark assassination, which is coming. They are working with the shadows. We find out later. Um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. this is my one big complaint about, how Babylon five ended with the rushed season five is we never really get a final conclusion to that side core story. We do in the books and everything else. We got but... Byron. We got Byron. Oh God. Season five is going to be rough. <laughs> <laughs> we got Robin Atkin downs as Byron. Come on, everybody. <laughs> Look, I agree. I think it's always amusing when you have first timers who think that our main characters are going to somehow like overcome Psychor and it's just, and B5 in the end decides, no, that happens after the show is done and maybe watch Crusade to find out what happened. But honestly, Oopsie. there's, yeah, honestly, there's a part of me that's just like, I'm fine with it because we had so many wars and I don't really know how on screen we would see our heroes beat cycle but at the same time i do understand the frustrations and i imagine the newbies will be like we've been with this show week to week and you say everything pays off everything has a conclusion or whatever and then we get the cycle and it's just kind of like besta has a very good day and leaves the show and we don't see him again well and not only that but the reason why it frustrates me so much is and I, I joked about this in an earlier episode, Garibaldi must suffer. Garibaldi goes through so much shit with the Psychor, and we never get any payback. And it frustrates the hell out of me. <laughs> but it's kind of funny because it would annoy him too. It would. It would drive him nuts. Kevin, Mike, you guys got anything else you want to add about the Psychor? I really don't. I mean, I think this is an episode for as much as it builds the world. I think really it's like you could almost sum it up as a... <laughs> an affirmation episode because everything that you've sort of thought was coming comes out in the open this time it's like oh you thought earth might be evil and there might be stuff going on with the government yeah bester just came right out and pretty much told you or i guess it was jason ironheart who really spilled the beans but um you know i i yeah I i don't think there's a lot necessarily besides the first ones and a little bit of jakar's character to dig into here because i think it really is just a, a little bit of a yep you were on the right path with all that stuff you were thinking well and the other thing to dig into here is talia but before we do that and i know about blake you have stuff to talk about talia as well too uh the other question that was brought up with psychor was the levels of psi 
and I was able to find it. Oh, good. Levels of sigh, because the internet gives what we want. So I'm just going to read them off real quick. So um, P1 is basically, you know, lowest level and so forth and so on. When we get to P5, that is your low level sigh rating, but these are commercial telepaths. Uh, commercial telepaths can also be P6, P7, and so forth and so on. P10 begin, uh, is a, uh, in the high level rating, and this is for Psychor instructors are rated P10. Um, and this is what Ironheart was before he got played with. Then we get to P11, which is usually Psychor administrators or senior instructors, and then P12, Psychops. P13 is the rating of and beyond any naturally bred human teep or telepath. Though all telepaths are a result of artificial manipulation, P13s and beyond usually result from further, more direct tampering. So you don't really get to P13 without getting played with. And then P40, there is P14 all the way up to P30 is uh, speculated in the expanded universe. The only person that we have run into that potentially is uh, in that higher level is actually Kevin from season five, Byron's Kevin, (laughs) the guy who... The guy who can scan Bester and Bester doesn't know about it. He is uh, at least a P14. Mm. So that's our size. Before you guys dig into uh, Talia, can I can I guess at the plot hole? You guys, Please. you you it's alluded a huge that huge plot hole. Go for it. Yeah, you alluded to that last week, and I've been thinking about it this week. And my my guess is that with Jason rooting around in her mind, how could he possibly miss the fact that she is a sleeper agent and control? Mm. Yeah, which I'm guessing was not the original plan, which is why the plot hole exists in the first place. You would be correct, sir. Okay, yeah. Blake, Blake, go ahead and go into more, and I'm going to pull up the JMS Usenet because he talks about it as well, too. So, because the original plan, the sleeper agent was supposed to be Laurel. That that was right. the original plan before Laurel got replaced and the series went the different direction. And with Talia in the role, that was not the plan. And that this episode kind of opens because I have the same thought as you there that, you know, with Ironheart in her head rooting around, not to know that she was that sleeper agent or to activate that. But then the other part of that to take it further is we know when that sleeper agent is activated, still has access to all of Talia's knowledge and memories. And this whole telekinesis thing never comes back up. That never gets, re- you know, all the thoughts about mm-hmm. concerning about is Psychor going to go hunt this down? If Talia is this sleeper agent, Psychor would have known about this ability, this gift from Ironheart. And this yeah. never comes up again. The uh, closest you get is Besta making light of, we learned a lot during our interview and dissect. Oh, and yeah. that's the, that's it. That's the closest yeah, you get. And you can infer yeah. that they learned about what we're talking about here from that if you take him at his face value that they maybe dissected her that's them scientifically trying to get what is inside of her so they can replicate it i think that's the closest you can get to saying that they ever touch upon it after she leaves the series yeah I mean, and there's even an episode coming up in season two i think it's two um with the underground railroad of telepaths and it directly references the iron heart incident and talks about their friend Ironheart, but this still never comes back up in this way, even in that episode. They mentioned, I think there is some instant, like there's some moments where they do mention that she has this ability. I think in that one, they literally show us a flashback to the scenes where she's like, she now has this ability. But the thing that we're harping on is she never uses it. 
She never uses this thing and they rarely ever talk about it. And in the end, it doesn't change up her status quo. We never actually get it changed because even if it like at the end, she's given an ability that's super powerful. So we never really get to see her struggle with anything about that because she's more powerful than anyone who could stop her anyway. And then she leaves. Yeah. And I I was trying to keep my poker face, Ryan, when you kept talking about, well, this is a game changer. And I'm like, no, it's not. But yeah, it was a nice little red herring of yours. Purposely trying to mislead people with it too. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So when asked after um, divided loyalties, which is when Talia leaves and soon is dissected, JMS said, uh, somebody asked, couldn't Ironheart have removed control? Uh, Was Talia the original personality? JMS says control was the the construct. So Talia was the original personality. The alternate personality was dormant at the time Ironheart was there. Cop out. And then finally he says, remember that Ironheart was not seeing Talia under the best conditions. He was fighting hard not to use his abilities for any reason because of the created mind quicks. Nice try, JMS. Yeah, I know. Cop out. (laughs) He was pulling everything in and later he was shot. But he later on says that basically... Andrea Thompson wanted to leave the show. She was not happy with what thing, how things were going. And so he wrote her out. And that was one of his trap doors was someone being control. And he's okay. You want to leave? You're a control. Have a nice day. Well, and the gift, the gift from I heard wasn't when he was having all the quakes. So it's after he had already done the whole becoming and was the energy being floating outside the station. So that doesn't work either. You know, and again, it's a, like you mentioned this on the first episode, JMS has a lot of trap doors one of them is control. He didn't know who he was going to use it on at this point, obviously, uh, mm. but he was ready to use it sooner or later. Well, I feel like at, at the point when uh, in all these shows where where somebody has ascended, they no longer care what's happening in our <laughs> realm of existence. So maybe he didn't look for it. Maybe he saw it and was like, eh, don't know. That's honestly a better answer than what JMS gave. Yeah. I, I would have been fine with that. JMS is like, yeah, he saw it, but you know what? He a million years and one going to matter. So have a nice day. I thought I thought it was really telling that one of the newbies, I think it was maybe Jesse, said that they're happy that this episode gave Talia something to do and that they hope that Talia becomes a much more defined and active <laughs> character. And it that doesn't happen. And to the point in which the actress leaves the show because they were giving her basically nothing to do. And I think that's also why this episode always is a letdown for me, not only because we don't get all the tele- telekinetic stuff or gift or like control or whatever. It's like this should be a game changer in terms of her actual character, who she is and how she should be in the show. But it never really does change it. It just she keeps being the hello I'm in the show too now. And you get to the point where it's like, you guys will watch it, but like her and Ivanova have only two episodes together where they have like a plot from beginning, middle and end in the entire show. They only have like two like full episode plots together. Everything else is like they share one or two scenes like they did in this episode. Since we are talking about trap doors and everything else, the one thing I want to throw out that we haven't talked about yet, and obviously the newbies will potentially notice it down the road, is this is the first time we have Jack in the episode. Jack is the one that Bester talks to through his mind and tells him to lead the way. We do find out later on that Kevin's staring at me right now. We do find later on that Jack is the uh, uh, one working behind the scenes and will shoot Garibaldi in the back here at the end of the year when he tries to warn people about the president's ship. If only Garibaldi listened to Walker Smith, watch your back. But yes, he didn't. Yeah. Didn't listen. Well, you know, in my head canon, I think Jack is already working for Psychor at this point. 
because he really doesn't care much when Bester starts playing around in his head. He says, okay, well, let me show you where the captain is. He's right over here, the commander. I think the other thing I'll add, and, you know, Justin's been the one since almost the very first, you know, pilot yeah. about Earth Alliance being the Nazis and a a fascist regime, which we, we know it's heading there with Clark, but it's not there yet. We see the pieces of it. You know, we see the Psychor. It's already been referenced with Psychor's meddling into elections with um, uh, endorsing Clark as vice president. I mean, we see the pieces falling into place with it. I just think it's interesting how much Justin has jumped into that view of what the Earth Alliance is at this state on the political side of it. And I, and I think I said this even last time was how much of the view of this in a 2022 lens of everything that's going on versus, you know, when this show came out, you know, I don't think the Earth Alliance as it is now in the show is quite the totalitarian regime that we're going to see come out of it. And it's certainly not the transition we're going to see to the Interstellar Alliance by the end of it. But it's just interesting how much Justin has locked into that piece at this point. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you. Part of it is to the 2022 lens. It's been an interesting few years for us Americans and everywhere else across the the world. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so... I, so did just... you guys not lock in on that when you were first viewing this show at all? Because I did. Like when I watched this when I was a kid and I had this on DVD, I was just like, I was similar. I was like, bam, bam, bam. And remember, I'm watching this in like early 2000s, mid 2000s. So I was like, I'm seeing these things too. And maybe it's just the iconography is so distinct to me. Like I said, like yeah. Talia Winters is, is in the first episode and I see her and I go, oh yes, I I know what you are. You're the blonde haired, blue eyed lady with a tight green dress and the black gloves and the badge. And I, I'm like, okay. And if earth has this as a part of it, on and on and on it goes. And then we get the next episode that you guys will cover the war prayer, which really just kind of cements. Yes. It well, gives you no doubt. But I was very much like within the first handful of episodes, I was also similar. So I'm just curious about if any of you guys were, if it was a slow bubble surprise. I don't think I picked up on it as early as Justin or, or you did, certainly. But you, you, you do get there eventually. But I, I definitely didn't pick up on it in the first episode like he did. See, for me, he's a humongous, uh, you know, Nazi Germany, um, you know, historian. So he yeah. he's read more stuff on it than most of us, I'm sure. Yeah. And see, for me, I started watching this show when it first aired, I think. I can't remember when I started watching it, but I was 11. So if I did pick up on it, I couldn't tell you at this point because I can't remember. But by the time I was watching DVDs, much like you, Ryan, I mean, yes, but Unfortunately, I and this is why I love this sh- the, how we're doing this so much. I don't remember what I remember when I first watched this thing. So watching these guys do this, it's really fun for me. And and I will say, definitely watching it later because I mean I watched it say back in the '90s when it came out. But again, about the same age as Scott. Watching it later on DVD, the iconography is definitely there, and you can see the path it's heading to. I mean, definitely, I, I can see where the pieces are. I can remember seeing those pieces, you know, seeing the Psychor uniform, seeing a lot of that image, especially in the episodes coming up where we get into the uh, negative alien sentiment. And even that's been touched on a little bit in um, some of these early episodes with the presidential race and other things and some of the criticisms of Clark about his support for aliens. And, you know, I definitely see those pieces. It's just like I said, it's it's interesting how much Justin, to me, has keyed into it's already there versus it's well on the path to that. Especially yep. I think it's in the next episode, they basically plan their own version of the Reichstag fire. 
Oh yeah, no, yeah. yeah. War, war prayer basically. If Bester and Ironheart aren't beating you over the head with Earth Alliance has problems, <laughs> war yeah. prayer is like hey, hey. But of course, yeah. we still at this point we still have Santiago, even though we haven't really played with that much. So it doesn't go full tilt crazy until the end of the season. But um, yeah. Well, part of me when I was first viewing it, and I'm curious because I think I, I can't speak for you all, but like I, I grew up with Star Trek. Of course, I had my understanding of Star Trek, and obviously, people draw comparisons to Deep Space Nine, and all that is obvious. But a part of me was like, "Oh, you can't start out your sci-fi show with your your humans government being evil in any way. That's something maybe you do four seasons down the road when you decided that you're going to be a deconstructionist take of this thing. Like Deep Space Nine doesn't immediately start out the gate with like everything is kind of crappy the way back home with Starfleet. That's something that they go along with as it goes. But to me, I think that was a hurdle that I know that some of my friends and even myself had where it's like, no way earth has to be good because that's, they are there are humans and the guy with the red eyes he's bad and and i think that's one of the things that actually drew me to babylon 5 i mean i i started out with star trek watching uh tng at the time then to ds9 uh, watched tos somewhere in there but i think that's one of the things that drew me into babylon 5 was that it wasn't this perfect vision of the future the people are flawed the characters are flawed um, you've got conflict that Roddenberry never allowed. That's why we didn't see it show up in Star Trek till after he was out of the picture. Um, and even then it was a struggle because Berman didn't want to allow it in either. Uh, there's stories about him and Ira Stephen Bear just having absolute knockdown dragouts over the tone of DS9 later in the series. And that's but, why Voyager is the way it is too. Yeah. It's like we, you we can't do this Voyager. We we were we having this con- dark things. Yeah, we were having this conversation on a side chat uh, today actually because uh, I was recommending to Kevin you need to watch um, what we left behind the documentary for DS Nine because be- Ryan between any day of the week either DS Nine or Babylon Five are my favorite sci fi show of all time that goes back and forth. But um, ba- to uh, Blake's point, uh, Iris Stephen Bear basically says finally there was one moment where Berman just stopped giving a shit and that's when we actually were able to do what we want and what that was and I didn't say it in our chat because there's people watching Deep Space Nine for the first time was when they let Burrell die because Bear, Bear wanted Burrell to die Berman was like fine kill him and that Berman was never involved in the conversation <laughs> ever again <laughs> about story time because he moved over to Voyager and started screwing that show up yeah it's crazy how these shows work right where you know, B5 even now within the first two seasons, we're going to see, even though JMS has a strict vision of what he wants, we're going to see how it's still held back from the restraints of like other writers, other producers, network stuff, and things of this era of television too, where you have to explain everything again. Like the opening of this episode is Talia reminding you how psychics work in this universe, because you may have missed those other four episodes. Yeah. Other than what we've discussed, I can't think of too many other things within mind war that are like spoilery other than like, you, you uh, one of you nailed it where it is this uh, this episode serves as obviously setting up stuff but mainly to uh answer and affirm things that the audience has been picking up on their own and i think that's actually very essential to have these episodes because you know we have our newbies but i think we all remember what it's like to watch tv shows once a week you get that point where it's like will this show actually go anywhere that i think it's going and b5 we know will play the long long game with these things but you know you still have to answer some of these things up front or else you're going to get your mystery box shows of today like lost 
where it's like, yes, this episode tells us pretty clearly that Psychor is evil and Earth isn't great either, which is good because it positions the audience to be further on the crew of Babylon 5's side because we know them to be good. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. You know, and I just finished the last, uh, the most recent season of the Umbrella Academy, which is a show that I do really enjoy. But what you just said kind of resonates with me because it is a series where they frequently have like what feels like an odd, weird, out of place visual that they very much did deliberately or some strange piece of dialogue or whatever else. They throw a lot of weird stuff at you with no explanation or payoff. Uh, at least no payoff maybe for many seasons and it's it's a (laughs) i can take it for a while but at the point where i've now watched three seasons with the same characters and there are things that they alluded to or said or did in season one that i still don't know about it's very frustrating We'll go ahead and wrap it up there. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us for Beyond the Rim. Uh, If you are joining us for the first time, please be sure to go over to anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. There you can find any way you want to subscribe to us, as well as our Twitter and Facebook feed, so you can check us out there and join the conversation as well there. Ryan, tell them where they can find Yum Yum. Yum Yum is on all the podcast hosting sites, including YouTube as well. You just look for Yum Yum Podcast and you shall find us. We are posting weekly. As I said, we are in season three of Babylon 5, which is our personal favorite season of the series so you'll be hearing a lot of fiery uh, opinions it also has my opinion the worst episode of babylon 5 in it so you'll have to listen to find out which one i think that is uh but we are on all the social medias as well under yum yum pod or yum yum podcast always interacting with folks so if you're keen on talking or listening to people talk about star trek discovery or babylon 5 from a lens of experience and from a rewatch come on over and uh check us out that's awesome thank you ryan for joining us we've had so much good time with you here hopefully we can do it again uh until next time when we discuss word prayer i'm scott and with me has been blake kevin mike and ryan thanks everybody anatomically impossible mr garibaldi but you're welcome